All right, y'all can go ahead and have a seat now. Everybody feel good? Okay, so I was yelling at my son's basketball game yesterday. And then after that, I stayed to, to, to yell at my nephew Canaan's basketball game. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna need y'all to help me preach today because my voice isn't that strong. So, you know, if I, if I say something good, y'all gotta do, help me out. Amen, pastor, make some noise, clap. If you think I'm saying something good, if I'm trying to say a joke, just go ahead and laugh because I can't lose my voice today. I will have you know that my son did give them young boys a 20 piece yesterday and five biscuits. Now, if you don't know what that means, what, what does it mean? Your son was eating chicken yesterday? No, I, I mean, my son gave the other team 20 points and five assists. Somebody make some noise for that. Uh, we are working on his humility because all he did was talk about it all day yesterday. So be prayer in prayer for that. Uh, he'll be at the 11. He might be wearing his jersey and tell everybody how many points he scored. So pray for humility. But um, I'm proud of my son and my nephew. They had great games yesterday. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn. We're going to jump straight into it. We are in week five of this series, Made for This. Isn't this amazing? I'm really excited. I hope you've been encouraged. Who's been encouraged by this series so far? Uh, if you are here uh, and you are new, we are in the middle of ultimately our vision series. We had a vision Sunday in October where we talked about being made for this. We are made for uh, unprecedented favor over this next several years. We've had a difficult um, few years, but I believe that God is positioning believers specifically. I'm not saying just Oasis Church. I'm talking about believers specifically for favor as we align ourselves with a few things that I believe the Lord wants to do. And it's experiencing a harvest in three specific areas. One is a harvest of righteousness. Uh, we have to believe that God wants to increase our character because usually your talent will get you something. It's your character that will help you keep it. it like, it's so important that we understand the value of God's character, of righteousness uh, flowing in and out of our lives. And I think you can build a big church by talking about how awesome God is and staying away from topics of personal righteousness. You know, no righteousness never gets the party going. You know, if you want to preach and get people yelling, you got to shout breakthrough. Anybody want to be blessed? Anybody want to be righteous? Now, hold on, pastor. I'm on a journey. You know, I'm on a you know, righteousness doesn't get the party going, but it is righteousness that I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to help you have. Now, here's why righteousness has always been a sensitive subject in church, because there was an era where people told you that your righteousness is your responsibility. That is not true. Righteousness is a free gift from Jesus when you believe, and then that righteousness is worked out as you submit to the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about today. It is one of the most profound things ever. You know, there's a Bible verse that says, you surround the righteous with favor like a shield. Do you not? You don't just get favor. You're surrounded by favor as you allow God to dress your character. There's other verses that say the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. We like to say our prayers are powerful and effective. No, the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. Other verses say that when you, you have not because you ask not, and when you ask, you don't get it because you ask with the wrong motives. There's just always this thing that points back to character. So I'm believing for a harvest of righteousness, and then I'm believing for a harvest of souls, which just means that people are going to be saved. Many Christians have never played a role in someone else's salvation. 
Now I'm not talking about sliding psalm scriptures to, to people under their desk. I'm not talking about leaving. I'm talking about that, that that's, you were a gateway to someone meeting the Lord. Uh, that's going to happen, whether it's inviting people to church, which is the most popular way in the past. But I believe the new way God's going to do it, I think you should invite someone to church, but it's inviting someone into your life, inviting someone to coffee. So many times the first time that we meet someone, we like, come to church. No, I'm, come to the crib. Your crib can be a church if you're just open and, and you're hospitable. Matter of fact, being hospitable is literally one of the qualifications for a church elder in the Bible that you have to enjoy having people in your home. Did you know that? Why would it say that? It didn't say you have to be really good at inviting people to church. No, you should enjoy having people in your home. And so this is going to happen as we have a, a harvest of souls. My wife is one of these people. She just is always connecting uh, with people, you know, we've had electricians come to church. Our other neighbor wants to come to church. And that's all my wife because she's just present with people. So we're believing for a harvest of souls. And the third thing we're believing for is a harvest of increase. And I know that's your favorite. Anybody believing for increase? We love that one. Listen, if you ain't believing for it, I told you I need you to help me preach. I'll take your increase. If you ain't believing for it, I want your share. But it's an increase of wisdom. It's not just the increase of finances. We're believing for that too. An increase of wisdom, finances, influence, and authority. Not authority like titles, spiritual authority. And God gives spiritual authority to those who are under authority. We mean when God just can just tell you to do something and you do it, and you, and you, just, you, don't, you don't resist at all, he starts to release spiritual authority in your life that people can pick up on. And you start getting yeses from people who used to tell you no because you're walking in spiritual authority. I'm telling you right now, this is going to bless somebody. And so we're jumping into, we're still on righteousness a little bit. And so I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 John 1, uh, verses 5 through 10. We are going to talk about a beautiful, profound word called Repentance. Yeah, you know. Oh, no. I brought my friend to church. I said we're going to talk about repentance. Didn't nobody say nothing. Nobody just butt cheeks clenched in their pew like, I don't want to do it. I want to talk about this. We got to, man. We got to. The Lord's been challenging me to, to make sure that, that I actually preach the real, complete gospel of the Lord. I have to. I owe it to you, and I owe it to God. And so 1 John 1, through, uh, verses 5 through 10 say this. This is the message that we heard from Jesus. Wait a minute. This is the message that we've heard from Jesus. I believe a lot of people misrepresent Jesus, sometimes in a, in a bad way, uh, like, like he was, like, don't understand who he is, like he was just harsh and hated people. But sometimes they swing the spectrum to the other way that all Jesus did was just walk around and tell people he loves them. Hey, love you, love you, bro. Hey, your, your life isn't great, but I love you. Like, you know, I've ever seen people when they're trying to get away from God's word, they say, man, Christians should just be like Jesus. But yeah, but Jesus said some stuff. Jesus told Peter, get behind me, Satan. Anybody feel released to tell somebody that in your life today? Like Jesus told Peter, on this rock, I'll build my church. And then two sentences later, he called him Satan, but still gave him the church. So when we call people Satan, we don't want them to have anything. That's how loving Jesus was. Hey, bro, you're Satan. You're my first pastor, though, but you're still Satan. But I'm working on you. 
Isn't that crazy? That I could give you a calling, accuse you of thinking like Satan, but not remove your calling. That's the love of God. He's going to keep it real with you, but he's never going to let go of you. But he's going to keep it real. Anybody know Jesus kept it real? This is important because they're repeating the message of Jesus. And listen to what Jesus said, because a lot of us think that only Jesus was just about love, love. I read on, looked on an article on CNN, and it said that Christians are losing sight of Jesus' message to love your neighbor. No, no, no. That's what he said at the end of his ministry as he was releasing the church. You know what he said at the beginning of his ministry? The kingdom of God is near, so repent and believe. Why is this important? What's in the kingdom of God? Everything we are praying for. Do you know there's two kingdoms operating right now? The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God? What are you praying for right now? Anything that you're praying for that God wants to give you, the kingdom of darkness is trying to stop it. So then in order for you to have it, you have to be operating in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of darkness can't do anything about the kingdom of God. Do you know the kingdom of darkness can rob you of your dreams? You know the kingdom of God can make you not book an audition, can tear up your I mean, kingdom of darkness can tear up your family, ruin your marriage. But in the kingdom of God, in operating in the kingdom, you have access to things that the devil can't touch. You have to understand this, that for many, many years, the church has preached Christ as your savior, but not Christ as your Lord. When Christ is your savior, you are saved from sin. But when he is your Lord, he leads you to all the good things life has to offer. So if you only want him to be your savior and not your Lord, you're missing out. Lord, that means he's the boss. Now, here's what's crazy. Jesus this is, this, I, I'm, I'm a mess with your theology. Jesus thinks your sins are filthy. So he came up with a plan to remove them. He cannot be around sinful people. So he came up with a plan to remove y'all sins and my sins so y'all could walk together and he wouldn't have to compromise his holiness. So therefore, Jesus was a master at loving people without compromise. So he died for you to remove your sins. So when you walk with him, he views you just as righteous as he is. Do you know how powerful that is? So that's like you going to court and you have been convicted of a crime and you're facing 50 years in jail. And the judge says, I'm going to let you off the hook. And matter of fact, I'll do the 50 years for you but then you need to follow me and listen to me. No, I'll take, I don't want the time, but after I get up, I'm gonna do my own thing. I'm gonna let you serve 50 years for me and I'm gonna do my own thing. And I'm not gonna tell anybody. If there was one courthouse that was doing that in Southern California, wouldn't you tell all your homies who caught a case to go to that courthouse? <laughs> so how irresponsible is it as Christians that we know the courts of heaven are exonerating people of their sins and we, we don't tell anybody. Oh my God, man, listen. And what we're telling them is the list of the crimes that they've committed instead of the courtroom they can go to. Do you know the Holy Spirit is called an advocate in the original Greek language? Do you know what the advocate is translated in Greek? Attorney. So God is the judge, 
Christ is a mediator and the Holy Spirit is an attorney. You ever been to court? Before you go to the courtroom, they try to set you up with a mediator and the mediator tries to solve the conflict between you and the other person. So Christ is a mediator and because of our sin, it put us in conflict with God. So Christ showed up as a mediator, got on the same page with God, then got on the same page with you and restored our relationship. And then if you ever do anything wrong, the Holy Spirit becomes your attorney to God going, nah, 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 they good. Remember, you, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? So you are more, most, so who is the prosecutor? The devil. So you are most like the devil when you are making accusations, not defending people. Even if you know they're wrong, Jesus defends you when he knows you're wrong. He doesn't endorse you. He defends you. I feel like preaching today. So the world says, endorse us. Affirm us. No, I cannot. I don't have that kind of power. I can't affirm something that's not in God's word. But what I can do is defend you. I know they're messed up. I know they're doing a lot of stuff that is not in the Bible. But you got you to gotta defend somebody, not Studio City or, Pan, or, or Pacific Palisade. You got to defend somebody San Bernardino style. I wish somebody would mess with anybody that I love. Jesus said, I'm looking for someone to stand in the gap. That's what God said. Not fill the gap with, with affirmation, but stand in the gap with defense. You wrong, but I got you. Lord, can you please forget? This will change the thing. So this is the message that we heard from Jesus. That's what Jesus preached. And he said, and now declare to you, this is the message we heard and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship, which means relationship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. Hold on a second. I thought Jesus just walked around loving people. I love you. No, he said, this is the message. We heard from who? Jesus. And we now declare to you, God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. So we are all lying if we say we have relationship with Jesus, but don't practice the truth. Live your truth. Jesus didn't say live your truth. He said, I am the truth. If you live your truth and I live my truth, one of us got to be lying. Can you imagine if I told, if my kid, who ate the last cookie? And Bailey goes, my truth is that Dallas ate it. And Dallas goes, my truth is that Bailey ate it. Well, somebody's lying. Truth needs a lie in order to be truth. Oh my God, I'm about to throw this, I'm about to throw the water bottle. You cannot have truth if there is no lies. You cannot have dark. So here's the thing. Where does sin live? In darkness. That's why Christ asked us to be a light to the world. What illuminates a Christian is the word of God. If you don't read the word of God and you don't have the word of God, you cannot illuminate darkness. 
And what happens when you illuminate darkness, people can see for themselves that it's sin. So here's what's happening. We're not light. And we go and try to tell people what sin is. And then they, they resist it and we're like, well, I guess you don't want to hear the truth. No, no, no. You, ain't, you didn't turn the lights on. You didn't turn the lights on. They can't see that it's sin because you, your pride and self-righteousness is making you just as dark as them. So they can't see. So this is why Jesus said he talked about light before he talked about sin. Isn't that interesting? And I feel like the church right now is talking about sin but not about light. Frowning-faced pastors like, this is just the most outrageous sin I've ever seen. You ever had somebody convict you of your sin in a way where, like, you feel like they're, are, are you that nice or are you about to kill me? <laughs> you ever met someone like that? I, I've said, shared this story before. I was jealous of a, of a guy in youth ministry. I had to, I took a few months off from youth ministry once, and when I came back, I used, before I left, I was the guy who was always hosting the service and making all the youth laugh. And when I came back, there was this young guy named Mark who was now doing it. And I was now the security guard for the youth ministry. <laughs> he took my job. And I remember hating on this dude. Man, this dude is whack. He ain't funny. Way funnier than he is. Like, that's why ain't nobody coming to the youth, because they keep putting him up there. If they put your boy up there, this place would blow up. I ain't say it out loud, but that's what's going on in my soul. The Holy Spirit said, I want you to tell him right now that you've been hating on him. And ask him, does he need anything? I said, the devil's alive. I know the voice of God, and that wasn't him. Then he repeated himself. And so I walked over to Mark. Hey, Mark, man, I was hating on you. Really? How? Well, I said you was whack. Said that you wasn't as funny as me. And, uh... Yeah, and the Holy Spirit told me that you're, you're gifted and anointed too, and I need, I'm supposed to ask you, um, do you need anything? He says, isn't God good like that? <laughs> I'm, I'm about to kill this dude. <laughs> but just so you know, I've seen you MC a few times as well, and I just think you're amazing. Like, who is this guy being so nice to me? And he said, you know what's crazy? I was just telling my girlfriend if I don't come up with 200 bucks today, I'm not going to be able to pay the rent. And now God sent you using your sin to be a blessing to me. Go figure. You know, the finger guns. Black people don't use finger guns. If it is, it's sideways. Like, <laughs> Woo. That's pretty funny. I thought that would get way more laughs than that. That's my best. That's my vintage stuff. Like, like I worked on that, man. Y'all going to keep having me make jokes. Y'all got to laugh harder than that because that was. And so my wife gave the man 200 bucks. But I remember what impacted me is that the way he was correcting me and the way he was talking to me and the way we discussed sin, his face was shining. I just couldn't believe how nice he was when I told him that I was hating on him. This is Christ. But he didn't go, it's okay. 
He said, yeah, man, sometimes that's what the devil does, man. He uses comparison. And I hated that feeling that he was correcting me, but he was doing it with such a signing face. So why am I saying this? Because in this passage of scripture, light preceded truth. This is so important. And how do you get the light? By the truth you're living. That's how you get it. The Bible is a lamp to my feet. The Bible says that Jesus was the walking, talk, word, walking, talking word of God. And it says in John chapter 1, the word brought life and the life brought light. So what brings light is not smiling. When you say you're being a light, I don't mean you show up to work going, hey, everybody. I'm a light. No. You could just walk in like this. But when the word of God is active and alive in everything you do and every decision you make, you walk into the rooms and the Holy Spirit goes, ah. And now people in the room living in sin can see that there's something different about you. So you actually don't need to call out sin. You need to walk into a room and be so filled with the truth of who Jesus is that the Holy Spirit turns the light on in every room you walk in. And it is in the atmosphere of light that we preach the truth. Do you get this? If you get this, game over. And so if you go on, he goes, but if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, we don't talk about the blood of Jesus enough. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So what happens is once you realize that you have sin in your life, you feel guilty and ashamed. And the blood of Jesus cleanses you from guilt and shame. What is culture trying to say cleanses us? Culture is trying to say that inclusiveness and acceptance cleanses us, and it does not. Inclusiveness and acceptance does not remove guilt and shame. Only the blood of Jesus can remove guilt and shame. So, so here's the thing that's really important. That we must be inclusive through kindness, not through acceptance. Because the moment we're inclusive through, through acceptance and not kindness, there becomes people we accept and people we don't. That means that you cannot accept everyone. It's actually, a, you, it's not possible. There will always be someone in your own soul that you elevate over another. That's why you must be kind to everyone because the moment you get into acceptance, you always hate someone else and love this particular group. Everyone who loves the church can't stand the gay community. And everybody who loves the gay community can't stand the church. You're just switching out who you hate. I'm telling you, Christ loved everyone. Religious people, gay people, he loved them all. But, he, but in order to love everyone, he had to compromise nothing in his own character. I'm about to throw this binder. Because you have to be careful who you don't like, but you also, so when I'm saying acceptance, we always think of the sinner. I'm talking about don't accept who you think is good. I had someone come up to me and say, man, you're such an amazing man of God. You don't know me. You said that because I preach. 
All you know about me is my sermons and you call me an awesome man of God. You know how many pastors have fallen with side chicks in two years and they were all told they were awesome men of God too? You don't know who's awesome. You know how they make you feel. So what I'm telling you is this, is that we have to do it through kindness. Think about David. Think about Saul, the very first king in the Bible. Do you know how Saul became king, the very first king in the Bible? He became king because the people wanted somebody instead of God. Do you know how they picked Saul? What do you say, Sister Lane? Oh, come on. Shout out to Sister Lane. She's our youth pastor with her theology. Let's go, Lane. Teaching your kids the truth. They picked Saul because he was the tallest, head and shoulders taller than all of Israel. Two chapters later, who was all of Israel afraid of? Goliath. Because he was taller than Saul. So what impressed them in one season intimidated them in the next. I, you guys, we, I'm not talking about when I say acceptance. I'm not talking about that we have to be inclusive only through kindness because it's in our human nature to elevate somebody over someone else. So acceptance is not the way because we don't get to decide who's accepted. We all have reasons that we accept other people. And every time I've met someone who's overly accepting of one group of people, they're overly rejecting of another group. Every time. So what happens is we have to do it through kindness because it is the true kindness, not nice, kindness. Kindness is an act of the Holy Spirit. Kindness happens when you want to be mean to someone, when you want to mistreat someone. So right now, there's people in this room where, where right now at Oasis Church, we are believing for a move of kindness. Here's why. Because kindness notices people that other people aren't noticing. Right now at our church, if you're an extrovert, it's easy to have community. If you're an introvert, it's harder. Because people don't notice you. Whereas me, I'm like, when I came to a church, I'm like, hey, what up? All those people have community, but if you come, just sit in your bag and sit in the bag. Ain't nobody going to talk. Because... It, you're not doing something demonstrative. So that's what I'm saying. I'm not talking about uh, uh, we need to be inclusive through kindness. So people can, shouldn't be able to tell who you're for and who you're against because you're that kind to everyone. Does that make sense? But if I can see in your life someone who you prefer, you know the Bible says that God has no favorites. He doesn't prefer anyone over someone else. So if you're going to bring about a move of God in transformation with truth, you have to lay down your preferences. We love to talk about prejudice and racism, but we don't talk about who we prefer over another person. I prefer this person. I prefer that person. Someone told me, how do you diversify your church? I said, oh, diversify your kids' birthday parties first. You got all black kids at your kids' birthday party? You got all white kids? You got all Spanish kids? Just teach, just teach, we're too late. We're investing in the next generation. We, 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 we're diversifying. Does that make sense? And teaching your kids to be kind. Teaching things like, hey, who at your school would nobody invite to a birthday party? That's kindness. It's really, really important. This is why it's important because 
Jesus did this. It, it's interesting that kindness creates a response. It's so powerful. And kindness typically re- creates a response that God wants to see. Look at Matthew 11, verses 20 through 24, where Jesus said, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of the miracles because they haven't repented of their sins and turned to God. So this is, this is so important you understand this about repentance and change. It's always a response. So we never can tell someone to change if we're not clear of what they should be responding to. So for example, if you see someone and they're struggling with a sin that you deem to be against the Bible, you need to ask them, hey, have you ever encountered God? Do you know that God? Because their repentance is a response. Jesus didn't get frustrated that people weren't repenting. He said, as much as I've done for you, all the miracles that I've done and you still don't believe? So he was frustrated about their lack of repentance because they were all aware that he was God and doing miracles, but they still wanted to do their own thing. Listen what he says. He says, then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of the miracles because they haven't repented of their sin and turned to God. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For the, if I did the miracles I, uh, for if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked uh, Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their head to show their remorse. I tell you, uh, Tyre and Sidon, will be better off on judgment day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on judgment day than you. What? Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be better off than a Christian? Why? Because we encountered something they did not. So I'm not telling you to repent because you're bad. I'm telling you to repent because you know God has blessed you. You know God has brought you through some hard times. You know that you didn't grow up with your dad in your home and God still brought you to this place. You know you've mismanaged your finances and God still blessed you financially. You know you haven't given the church in 10 years and God is still providing. You know you didn't even pray that much and you still got healed. You got to repent. Repentance is a response. Religion makes repentance an initiation. It's what starts. But he didn't say, y'all not repenting because you ain't living in the truth. He says, after everything I've done, you won't repent? After everything I've done, you won't repent? Think about this. Romans 2 verses 4 says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you. I see people post on Instagram that woke pastors are too tolerant of sin. Let me just make sure I can read this. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? So if we're being like God, shouldn't we be wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient? But why is God doing that? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. He's not doing that as an act of acceptance. He's doing it as a cataclysmic act of change. 
if you meet the most loving and kind person you've ever met in your life, you will have a deep desire to be different. It's not an act of acceptance. It's an act of change. And he goes, me first. I'll love you in a way that you don't even have the capacity to love me back. Do you understand that? And now you create this atmosphere where people can actually respond and make repentance a response. I want you to to write this down and take a picture of it. Repentance is the Holy Spirit helping you change your thoughts and therefore your actions after. Somebody say after. After. Say after. After what? An encounter with the presence of God, the word of God, and or the people of God. Repentance is what happens after a counter with the presence of God, the word of God, and the people of God. This is so important we understand this. The word repentance is to change your mind after being with. It's not to decide what's right and wrong. That's the tree of the knowledge of of good and evil. Is deciding this is right, this is wrong, and I think I know. No, no, no. The word means to change your mind after being with. With who? So Jesus was upset because they were with him and they weren't changing. We can't be upset with people who are not changing that we're not with. I'm just going to keep reading. You ever been with them? You ever stood and had 50 million breakfasts and lunches? with somebody from the gay community or somebody that's a Democrat or somebody that's a Republican, then you can't want them to change until you've been with them. And what happens is we distance ourselves from people. And we tell them, you're on your own. You're not living a righteous life. You're this, you're that. You're this, you're that. And we move further and further away. And the further and further away we move from them, the louder we have to shout that they're not living in the truth. You need to live the truth. But, but Jesus wants you to tell the truth in a proximity that's a whisper. So you don't humiliate them in front of everybody else and tell them how sinful they are. You should be close enough to whisper a sin. I'm telling you right now. The church doesn't do this well. I was told my whole life I was a sinner. And no one told me about Jesus. They told me the truth. But they didn't tell me the truth about Christ. Truth, God is a God of order. So we have to tell them the truth in order. This is going to change everything we do, man. First John uh, verses 1, 8 through 10 says, if we claim we have no sin, uh-oh, the first thing we need to deal with is our own. We are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Anybody believing for favor? Anybody believing for blessing? I want you to write this down if you are. You have to give the word a place to live before God gives you a place to go. It says it proves the word has no place in your hearts. The word has to have a place to go before you have a place to go. Because the word sustains everything that God wants to bless you with. This is life changing. Because we have to figure out how to love people without subtracting from the word. 
Deuteronomy 4 verses 2 says, do not add or subtract from these commands I'm giving to you. I don't have permission to change the word of God. So I can't make you feel loved by changing something I don't have the authority to change. One person had a bunch of stuff going on in their life that wasn't according to God's word and said, hey, can I, can I, would you let me, you know, lead worship? Would you let me do this? And I said, that's such an unfair question. And they said, why? If I was a doctor, would you ask me, could I, could you perform surgery on my patients to make you feel loved? No, you got to go to medical school. If I was a teacher, could you say, hey, let me teach your classroom? No, you got to go get a degree. There's certain things you have to do to be up here. And I'm like, and I hate that I have to do some of those things, but I have to do those things. You know, if you want to be a dancer, Beyonce don't just let you go on tour with her because to make you feel loved. She going to send your butt right down to that dance studio millennium and you're going to be in there two-stepping trying to figure it out. You can't say, but don't you love me, Beyonce? Yes. But this is for people who have put in, who have let faith and works combine themselves. Not perfectly. Not perfectly, but intentionally. They care. This is life changing. This is life changing. So we have to understand what are we repenting of? We're repenting of sin. And what is sin? Romans 3.23 says, For we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all sin. We all do it. So if you want to be good at sin, just say, we all do it. Anybody feel like they're a sinner today? If you don't, you're not ready to call out someone's sin until you realize you are a sinner too. We all have done this. We all fall short of the glory. What is glory? The weight of God's goodness. We all fall short. And do you know that sin was an archery term? So here's what happens. Back in biblical days, archery was huge. And so they would shoot an arrow. Let's say the arrow's back there. They shoot an arrow. And if they didn't hit the bullseye and they didn't get it right, the referee would yell, sin. And they'd try again and they'd try again. And they only could win if they hit the bullseye. So what the gospel says is that when you shoot that arrow of trying to do the right thing and you fall short, Jesus doesn't say good shot. He doesn't say, wow, that was incredible. You're perfect just the way you are. I know that arrow didn't hit the bullseye. He doesn't, but what he does do, he doesn't say good shot, but he grabs the arrow and he moves it. And he gives you credit for the bullseye without telling you you're a good shot. You see where I'm going with this? Then over time, when he sees you miss over and over again, he sends his Holy Spirit to make you be more on point. And then the Holy Spirit gets behind you and helps you pull the arrow. And then the reason why you're getting it closer is not because of you, it's because of the Holy Ghost. And as long as you're on this earth, the whole, Jesus will always have to move your arrow. And you have no right to judge someone because Jesus is moving their arrow 10 feet and he's only moving yours 10 inches. Without Jesus, we all miss. 
It's an archery term. But let me tell you another archery term. Colossians 4 verses 5 through 6, and this is my last verse, says live wisely. Other translations say righteously among those who are not believers and make, and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. The way you tell them that is more important than what you tell them. But I want you to understand this. It says, make the most of every opportunity. You know that word opportunity is translated kairos, which means divine moment. It means waiting on the perfect conditions. So let me explain to you how the, God has designed the church to work when it comes to the sin of people and culture. Someone's shooting and they're missing. Jesus is yelling the arrow. The devil is yelling sin. Excuse me, the, the, the person is shooting. Jesus is moving the arrow. The devil is shouting sin. Christians are supposed to be waiting for the right opportunity, the divine moment to tell them, if you just raise your elbow just a little bit. They're not trying to say it because they're sick of them missing. They're waiting patiently and being kind and waiting for the right moment to tell that person, if you just lifted your elbow a little bit and drew it back a little bit further, you'd get a little bit closer. But what the enemy does is he makes you the devil and you shout, sin! And you're missing the fact that Jesus is moving the arrow because your attention is on the shooter, not the savior. I'ma throw this binder. I'ma throw this binder. When Christians have their attention on the sinner, not the Savior, they begin to shout sin. But when the, the, the attention is on Jesus, they begin to shout, today is the day of salvation. God is good. He has blessed you. He doesn't matter where you've been or where you've come from. God will be good to you. God will be kind to you. And then all of a sudden, as Jesus continues to move the arrow and Christians begin to encourage, they realize that Jesus and only Jesus saves. I wish we had more Christians that would be there when Jesus is moving the arrow and not shouting sin, but making the most of the divine moment on when do we help them. If we get better at this, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what the Holy Spirit will do for those that believe in this season. Do you believe it, Oasis? Do you believe it, Oasis? I said, do you believe it, Oasis? I said, do you believe it, Oasis? No, I said, do you really believe it? No, I said, do you believe it, Oasis? No, that's not a believe praise. Do you believe that God is sending people to Oasis Church, drowning in their sin, trying to take their best shot, and Christ will move the arrow? If you believe that, give God one minute of the craziest praise right now. Begin to